Good day, everybody. It's Connor dropping in for another episode of the, again, it's called the, it's called the film news show, but I, I don't look at it that way. Uh, I was talking to Dustin. I was like, I may have to rebrand this, this little in-between show again. What did I call it? And he was like, maybe like the morsel. I was like, what if I just call it like the turd or something? Sometimes it's like a little turd. Sometimes it's a big turd. Uh, so the turd show, just the Hoopercast turd show. We'll call it that. I don't know what to call this. If you have ideas, please let me know because I'm at a loss and I'm just confusing everybody by by constantly renaming it. So welcome to whatever this show is. I want to talk about a couple of film news items that interested me. Got a story here from The Hollywood Reporter from January 26th uh, by Patrick Brzezinski. Uh It is about uh, the ending of Fight Club in China. So you remember the film Fight Club. It's cult classic. Um, I think it's probably on the high, the top 100 on IMDb. You know what Fight Club is. If you follow movies at all, I'd be surprised. I don't know why I'm even saying this much about it because I'm, I'm, I'm overemphasizing that you should know what it is. Um, so Fight Club was based on a book adapted from a, a book, a novel by Chuck, a, a writer named Chuck Palahniuk. And if you know his name, you know his name because, because of Fight Club, I imagine. Um, I doubt very few of you listening actually read his books. Um, I have only read Fight Club. I have not read the others. I have a couple in my possession from a friend of mine that gave gave to me. Um, but I I find him to be an interesting individual. I've listened to a couple of a couple of times he's been on like like the, like he did a couple of interviews on Joe Rogan. Um, and uh, a couple other places, but he's an interesting guy as a lot of writers turn out to be uh, either in their work or in their actual personalities. So what's going on is that there's a streaming service in China called, what's it called? Tencent Video. It's a streaming service in China, I guess. So uh, it started to air. It was, or the, the film was to come to that streaming service in China, but because if you if you aren't aware of what of the China of China's role in film, um, they have rules. They are a communist regime, and you know while they're a big player in the world and uh, and partnering and trading with democracies and other nations, uh, China is has very strict censorship rules with its art with its films. And according to this article, a key tenant of China's film censorship is that criminals must always be punished for their crimes on screen and societal societal harmony restored. So what that's going to mean is that any movie that has a subversive protagonist or um, uh, ending or anything where the bad guys win or, um, or, or good guys get screwed over or anything subversive or challenging narratively is not going to happen in Chinese cinema. That's part of why movies like the Avengers and other big budget blockbusters where it's just very concrete, good versus evil. They do very well in China because the plot, the plot always rewards virtue and goodness. And like the, like they say, punishes criminals. Um, but also, um, it's, it's more specific than that. It is that, um, like if, for instance, in fight club, the film's ending was altered. So, you know, again, spoilers for Fight Club if you haven't read the book or seen the film. But, you know, the movie ends. Um, Edward Norton shoots himself in the face and kills his alter ego, Brad Pitt. 
and then he watches uh, the film ends with the shot of the, the the city skyline as these bombs are going off and buildings are collapsing, and it's implying that this whole anarchist cult plan to take down big corporations and big um, and credit card companies and reset the debt clock and whatever uh, anti-consumerism philosophy has begun and has or succeeded. So the article says um, the climactic scene was excised for the Chinese release and replaced with a blank screen showing the message that reads, quote, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan. So they don't, they, you know, they can't, there's nothing they can film. There's no, you can't shoot supplemental material for this movie, especially since it was made, <laughs> you know, God, how long ago was 1999, 23 years ago. So if the film was, were made today, they probably would have just shot an alternate ending for international releases to get around the problem. So you can still show a different ending, but with the same actors and characters, whatever. But because it's a film from 1999, instead of that, you know, the buildings blow up, that song plays, they cut to black. And then instead, before the credits roll, the message reads, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan and arrested all criminals, successfully preventing the bomb from exploding. After the trial, Tyler was sent to a lunatic asylum receiving psychological treatment. He was then discharged from the hospital in 2012. So that happens. People in China are angry because a lot of them have seen uh, pirated copies of the of the original film. And then people around the world know about it. And so, you know, there's a cry out against censorship. And and it's weird because like we 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 um, we go now to Chuck Palahniuk, who, again, it's his novel, his characters. So he weighed in. He's got a Substack newsletter um, and he. He basically said, like, he sort of was like, oh, wow, interesting, you know, kind of like this sarcastic thing. But he pointed out later in a different interview that the Chinese ending is ironically closer to how the book concluded um, with with the bombs not going off or the 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 the, the, the protagonist failing um, and then ending up in a mental hospital as a result of his attempted suicide. He, he said that's kind of ironic. But he also said he saw the irony in many Americans' angry response to China's actions, given that his books are banned in many locations across the U.S. So here's, here's, what, here's what Chuck Palahniuk says. He says, what I find really interesting is that my books are heavily banned throughout the U.S. And then he says a lot of prisons, the Texas prison system doesn't carry his books. A lot of public schools and, and like nearly all private schools don't carry his books. So he has a point. It's interesting that we're mad at China for doing what China does. China censors films. China censors a lot of things, but China censors movies, especially if they're made from the outside. And it makes for, you know, less uh, compelling stories sometimes. But what's funny about it is the original author is saying, the U.S. does that. We do that here. Not, the state may not do it in, in the same way. Like, Hollywood clearly allows for these sorts of characters and plots to exist. Um, but even within Hollywood, there's there's a censorship process because you have to sell this film. And so to make it marketable and sellable to a large audience, you can't have it be too upside down because um, the audiences don't tolerate that. That's why a lot of people go to indie films or even now with like, you know, the, the newer rise of horror films, like horror is a genre where you can really subvert and punish your characters or have things that are unfair happen. And then it's accepted because of the genre. 
but in films that are, are going to get wide release, it's harder to do that. But still, we are very good about we, the U.S. and and other and other countries like us in the industry are very good about making films that are challenging. Less so today because they're less marketable. Those are kind of diminishing, as we pointed out before. But book banning, book banning. He says I've been dealing with revision for twenty five years, um, and and it's nothing new for me. So I don't know why y'all are complaining. Like, welcome to my world. Welcome to my career where I'm writing books. I'm trying to make a living and I'm, you know, he's, he's doing well. He's doing fine as a writer commercially, but it must be hard when libraries, um, and schools and places, you know, they just won't even put them on the shelves. They won't even give people a chance to engage with the material and decide whether or not they think it's offensive or they think it's too much. That's part of why he has this Substack. He's like, I'm I'm gonna create a place where I can write short form fiction for people who want to read my work, and I'll monetize that, and I'll continue to write books. And books may 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 come around to being one of the only places you can get, you know, challenging material because it's it's gonna diminish in the movies unless something changes soon. But he says, you know. He he says here a lot of his overseas publishers did this with the had edited the novel so that it ends the way the movie ends. So he's just like whatever. It's just cost of doing business, I suppose. But it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad that we can't just let creators create and let the audience decide what whether it wants to support that or not. We have institutions saying no, no, no. We can't be associated with this. And it's like, well, if you're a library, you're supposed to be preserving options and neutrality of content as as a public as a as a public institution now obviously like the jesuit library of 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 you know of the catholic church isn't going to carry chuck palinuk novels but but you wouldn't go in there expecting that you wouldn't go up there and be like hey where the hell is choke where's choke where's that movie and what about the what about that book where we where we follow a serial killer no well where's rant where is it why, why are there copies of the Bible everywhere? Like you would, you don't go into those places expecting them to have this material, but you go into a public library or especially or in a prison library. Like I, I get maybe schools, you know, depending on what it is, but like the fact that it's hard for me to find a Chuck Palahniuk novel, I live in Alabama. Um, you know, it's, it kind of sucks, I suppose. I don't know. A little piece there about censorship for you, for you to think about. This story comes from the Hollywood reporter by way of the New York Times, by way of the New York Times opinion produced Sway podcast. So a few levels here, but I initially came across this article from Hollywood Reporter and then linked through the New York Times. And so, of course, when you see that, what you really should do is click on the original article and not all respect to the Hollywood Reporter, whose whose content I like. I appreciate you know, when they say, oh, here's an, here's an article. Oh, cool. I came across this. Hey, it happened in the conversation. I'm, I'm really just regurgitating bites from an, another, um, another subscribe, another publication that maybe you don't have access to because they're subscriber based. So here's some bullet points, but here's a link to the original article. What you really should do as a responsible consumer of information, again, is instead of giving the Hollywood reporter clicks and ad dollars, go to the New York times page and, and give it to them since they originated the content. So I did that article is two paragraphs long and it was a link to a podcast. I was like, Oh, okay. Clicked on the podcast. And I listened to this, whatever, 45, 50 minute 
conversation uh, between uh, the New York Times' Kara Swisher and former Disney CEO Bob Iger, whom I worship as my savior. <laughs> um, this article was his the first interview he's given since leaving his chairmanship at Disney, which was about a month ago. Uh, this article came out on January 27th. And a few things are spoken about in this interview. Um, I listened to the entire thing. I took some notes. You should listen to the entire thing. I've actually heard the whole thing twice. That's just, again, just just not to, not to brown nose Bob Iger, but I just like to listen to the man speak about, about business. I just, I have, whatever it is, if he started a podcast where he just weekly just talked for 40 minutes about what's going on in the business climate globally, oh my God, I would subscribe. I'd listen to that every single, every single week. Um, so yeah, again, you could check out his book, the ride of a lifetime, which I definitely recommend. I only don't own because my wife will not let me buy any new books. So I have to just go to the library. So, um, this interview was really interesting because he is somewhat freed up to talk about this stuff with a little bit more, a little bit less caution because he's not sitting on the board or serving under, uh, as the CEO of, of Disney anymore. So not to say he's going to come out like trash Disney, but he, he has no, he has no, uh, vested reason to other than just being gracious to, to not get into specifics about, uh, business, but um, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. So, um, one of the main things that he talked about and that the Hollywood reporter article, uh, zeroes in on, uh, is the, the headline being, uh, COVID dealt movie theaters, a severe injury that maybe doesn't heal, which is what he said about it. Um, so let's talk about what he said about, um, about, um, st- streaming services. So again, if you listen to this show, I'm, I'm just letting you know, Bob Iger agrees with me about what's going to happen to movie theaters. And I don't think anybody disagrees with me. Dustin doesn't disagree. I haven't met many people who, who care about this subject who would disagree that movie theaters are going to become a smaller business, a smaller, they're going to, they're, they're going to become a smaller part of how we see movies. Uh, and Bob Iger agrees. He says, he basically said, um, he says there are some films that people will clamor to see on the opening weekend. And his example was Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, but that a lot of films, there are a lot of films that don't fit into that category that people are going to be much more discerning. I think that was his word discerning about what films they feel need to be seen in a theater in the future. And, um, and, and, and they already are obviously, I mean, I've been doing that for years just to save money, but I think there was that study that came out and said the, the average person only watches only sees four or five movies a year in the theater. And it's usually tent poles because that's the biggest reason to go to the theater is that is an experience. That's an event. There's there's social capital in seeing Spider-Man this morning. We put uh, a, a, a story on our on our newscast about that, that contained a Spider-Man No Way Home spoiler and uh, the producer said, it's been out for a month and this person is in the marketing for the movie. And I was like, yeah, and I haven't seen the film because I chose not to because of Omicron. Uh, I'm waiting for it to be available for video on demand. Uh, that was my choice. Um, but I certainly am missing out on some social capital from not having seen the film. I would have loved to see that in theaters on a big screen with surround sound and an audience but I didn't feel like it was safe. So I did not, uh, all that to say, um, those are the films. And and so 
oh, you say, oh, Bob Iger, you're saying Disney, you know, the only things we're seeing in theaters are Disney films, Marvel films. Uh, I don't know if Bob Iger is saying that, but Connor Dempsey certainly uh, thinks that to an extent. I mean, everything that Marvel puts out in a given calendar year is a theater experience. There is, hey, the next chapter in this Marvel saga, don't miss it. Go to the theater, see it, see it as soon as you can. You know, um, other stuff like this same producer, I'm going to put David on blast from it. Uh, David talked about how Ben, this, this story about Ben Stiller. I know we're talking about bye bye I'll get back to it. Uh, he mentioned Ben Stiller, uh, when asked, uh, if he wants to, if he would do a mystery men too, that he expressed enthusiasm for it. So I first point out to David, just like we did with Zack Snyder and Dragon Ball Z, that when you're asked that question by a reporter, the smart answer is always yes. Um, so it doesn't mean that he's planning on making the movie. But I did say if they were to make that movie, it would probably just be put straight to Peacock because uh, the Universal made Mystery Men. They distributed Mystery Men. I don't know who has the rights, but let's just pretend it was Universal. Universal is not going to give Ben Stiller whatever amount of millions of dollars to make a sequel to Mystery Men, a film that made back half its budget at the box office. It was a bomb. It made like $30 million. It was like a $65 million film. I looked it all up this morning. Um, they're not going to, especially, uh, you know, the first one has maybe a cult following, but that doesn't mean people, the general audience is going to come out and drove to see mystery men, which as far as I know, I haven't seen the film, but as far as I can tell is a subversion of superhero films, which might work a little better today than it did in the early two thousands. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're not going to come to the theater to see it and it's going to bomb again. But with what they didn't have in the early 2000s that they have now is streaming services and platforms. Universal has Peacock. You can make content just for the streaming platform and you can make it for a lot less money. And it just, there's no like, oh, we're really banking on the box office. So if you were to make a film like that today, that's not for the theater. That's for Peacock. That is for, that's for, that's just for people to come across and go, oh man, you know, um, and it's a lot cheaper to put on that platform than it is to distribute nationwide and globally to theaters. Um, all of this to say, every time I talk about this and then I feel like, oh, maybe, I don't know, am I just, is that too much of a hot take? I don't think it is a hot take to say, especially if, again, the former CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, agrees with me. Um, and and I just think it's common sense, you know, it's, it's going to become less of a thing, you know, and, and you can argue as many have to me that seeing a movie in theaters is the best way to see it. And I'll, I'll agree that seeing a movie in theaters is the best way to see certain movies. And it may just be that because films have, have, because movies have split into big budget blockbuster tentpole films and smaller budget, you know, um, I'm not going to say indies, but smaller budget, um, uh, uh, dramatic films. There's one kind that I want to see in theaters with an audience. And there's another kind where I want to see it with one other person in, in my house and with subtitles and, and with relative amount of quiet from the audience. So I can actually hear what's going on. It's kind of easy to tell what's going on in an action film and theaters. Cause you know, so it doesn't matter how much the patrons are talking. It's big and loud and there's guns and you can't even hear the lady behind you anyways. Cause you're the, it's so fucking loud and, and that's fine and that's good. And that that's preferable, but at home, at home, that that's cool too at home. But like a drama, you're watching like, you know, pride and prejudice in the movies. And it's like, 
there's plenty of scenes where it's like there's just gonna be people talking, filling in the dead space with their own thoughts because people hate silence. I don't know what's wrong with everybody. But all this to say, theaters are not the place anymore for every kind of film. It's not a catch-all anymore. And he mentions in the interview, you can fight it, but at the end of the day, you have to follow the consumer. And the consumer, especially during COVID, realized that they like and understand digesting their content with with apps uh, on, on, on their home televisions. And it's a trend that was already happening that the pandemic exacerbated. But... Um, what's going to happen. Uh, so because of that, the only thing that's worth putting into theaters is going to be a sure thing. What's a sure thing these days? Uh, recognizable intellectual properties, big budgets, uh, globally marketed franchise films. And everyone's always talking about those are the films that are, you know, oh, there's two Hollywood's becoming all about that. Those are the only ones that are going to make money. Don't get mad at the studios for, for doing what's going to make them money and continue to grow their profits. That's the, that is their responsibility to their shareholders. That's what they're always going to do. If you want more challenging films, it, we, the, the window passed like 10 years ago to support those kind of movies. And it certainly passed with the last duel, which I have not seen, but by all accounts, by every person I've heard, every person I know who's seen it, who I trust has said it's excellent and it bombed because no one cared to see it. Those films are not going to get made anymore to get put into theaters. They're going to get put to streaming services and you, we can all thank ourselves for not supporting them when we had the chance, but we didn't want to because we preferred, and it's not a bad thing. We preferred transformers and despicable me and Marvel and Pixar. And we, we, we supported those things. We went to the theaters to see those things. Look at the top 10 grossing films of, of, of all time. Do you see any hardcore dramas on there or is it Lord of the Rings and Avengers and Avatar, you know, Titanic is the only one where it's like, that's may, may defy the norm, but that's just a, 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 a traditionally structured broad narrative that lightning in a bottle worked. That may be the exception, but everything else on that list Big budget franchise sequel sequel potential or sequel adjacent for a big studio. None of them are like Lionsgate movies. The middle budget film is gone to streaming. The smaller budget film is basically gone to streaming, and so the theaters have remained the the arena for for big budget franchise, and that's just the way it's going to be. Um, it's interesting because he talked about that it's necessary for studios to have their own platforms now and that a lot of them may worry that they're too small to, to continue to take play to, to continue to be part of the market share. He said that in 2017, when Rupert Murdoch called him to discuss you know, the selling of some of Fox's entertainment assets, uh, Murdoch worried that Fox was too small to be competitive, um, in, in the streaming wars, uh, and Iger at the same time was contemplating, you know, was, was they're were, they were planning the launch of Disney plus, And he knew that they need as they needed as many. What's the here? Here's this quote. Um, I was thinking at the time, knowing that we were going to launch Disney plus and enter the streaming business, that if we had national geographic and the Simpsons and avatar and the whole library that we would have the scale to compete. Um, and, uh, he also, the, the article says he, um, uh, the, the Hollywood reporter article says, but he also talked about big tech companies now kind of being involved in streaming. Um, and, um, but that they, he never worried that they were putting him out of business, uh, like Amazon and Apple. 
Um, he, he said, here's the quote. There's no question that deep pocketed technology companies, Apple being a great example, Amazon being another, have figured out that if they have great intellectual property, if they tell great stories, it will help their businesses. I don't want to suggest that those are loss leader businesses, but they are in those businesses for other reasons. And he wanted to elaborate, you know, Amazon is in that business to get you to subscribe to Amazon Prime and participate in using their website to buy things. Apple is interested in selling you devices. And so that's what a loss leader is meant to do. Um, not that those two companies don't produce content that is good. Um, but, uh, you know, he says, he says, I, I, we, he said, I remember in the interview, he said, we, we did just trust me. Like I was in the room. We, we definitely thought of them as competitors, but I was never worried that they were going to put us out of business because like he says, they're in those, they're in the streaming for other reasons. Um, so, uh, then the interview asked him, uh, sorry, the interviewer said that she pays for all the platforms and Iger asked why. And that just struck me as interesting because at the end of the day, he's, he, he seems like that answer suggests to me that he's just a guy who doesn't, who maybe doesn't think that people should be spending too much of their time steeped in streaming content. And I could be reading too much into it. Maybe he thinks, why do you subscribe to them all? Just pay for Disney plus. But he recognizes Nonetheless, despite what he personally does with his time, which I imagine is not watching lots of movies on streaming services, that this is a, a big thing for people. People are always going to want to stream stuff. Um, and there's enough platforms out there to where it's competitive, really competitive. Um, he acknowledged that the existence of all these platforms and all this consumption ultimately means that the industry has a lot more work to go around. There's a lot more shows being made. So that's really good for people who work in the industry because there's, there's more shows to work on now. And that's good for competition because you can really lobby to get the best people. So it's good for the industry um, once they can figure out how to make the money around it. I guess it's the worst for the theater industry, but it it might just be that their time is over and it's going to it's gonna condense a little bit into the specialty theaters, which he talked about, you know, the theaters who who invest in the in the experience which I've talked about before too, right? Like, you know, the Alamo draft houses and the Nexus cinema dinings and the Crescent theaters of the world, the, the, the specialty experience cinemas will survive and thrive in the new theater economy and the mass produced generic ones, uh, won't. And again, I might have a little bit of a bias against it because I'm in, I'm in Alabama and we have a couple specialty theaters now, but for the longest time we just had, you know, we just had the AMC or the Carmike theater and it was shit and it wasn't a great experience and it was falling apart and no one gave a shit and they just had a bunch of teenagers working there and no one knew how to fix anything. The sound was off. No one ever did anything about it. And that's the kind of stuff at scale. And that's in, that's in most cities in America, maybe not the big cities where there's more people and there's more prestige, certainly not Los Angeles, but everyone I've talked about who is everyone I've, I've, I've heard from who seems to be really, really, really adamant that every kind of film get released in theaters, they all seem to come out of LA and LA has great theaters and they have lots of theaters with lots of charm and lots of prestige and, and, and not just LA, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, obviously, but, and so yes, I, I'm in lower Alabama. I'm not one of those cities, 
but that's why I feel the way I feel. And most cities in America are more likely to be like mine and less likely to be like Los Angeles, where there's lots to choose from. And the ones that are good are really good and worth going to. And there's an experience. Most theaters in America are generic, serve popcorn and candy, cost $15 a ticket, um, are dirty, are smelly, have terrible, the technical equipment's falling apart. They pay their workers super low wages and it's just a horrible experience where patrons are rude or loud or don't care. And I'm sorry, I, I prefer my living room. Um, I just, I just do. And so all those ones I just talked about that m- make up the majority of theaters in the country will fall away. And the specialty ones that already care about the customer experience will do better. I'm fine if the Nexus Cinema Dining is the only theater in Mobile I'll be sad because that means it's going to sell out so quickly. Maybe they'll just build two of them. But I will know that whichever theater I choose in town cares about the experience, assigns seats, serves uh, serves meals, and and actually and and cares about the customer experience. And that's the ones that are going to survive. One final note about Bob Iger. He mentions why he retired when he did. And I found this very, very interesting. He said he thinks that change at the top has value in a company and that he thought he was becoming a bit arrogant as CEO and intolerant of other people's ideas because he felt that his instincts were good. And he's right. They, they, his instincts were good. Look at, look at the time he was CEO. I believe it was about 15 years or so. Look at the acquisitions Disney made. Look at the, the growth and market share they have. Like, look at all the, all the stuff. I mean, the Muppets, Pixar. Lucasfilm, Fox, Marvel, like Disney Plus, it's it's insane. So, and that's really all him or spearheaded by him. And uh, so if anyone has a right to think that they have good ideas, it's Bob Iger. But even he, somehow somebody with, with, you know, who says that he says that he was getting arrogant Somehow I have the self-awareness to realize eventually this isn't going to serve me well. Yeah, I have good instincts, but that's not good for, it's not good for the CEO to be arrogant um, and, and intolerant of outside ideas, no matter what he's achieved for the company. You know, he's still just like, mm, no, this is bad. This is bad. I need to step down and give someone else a chance. And that's just, you'd have to have, you have to have integrity and principles. And, uh, so I admire Bob Iger for that. So I don't care if uh, people are sick of hearing me talk about Bob Iger. I I like him. I think he's great. I'm sad. He's not CEO anymore, but it sounds like I would have eventually hated it. So, uh, he has my blessing. He is allowed to retire. Uh, that's okay with me now that he retires. So, um, all that to say, check out the full interview. It's great. Um, the, uh, the, the, the journalist interviewing him, uh, Kara Swisher, Never heard of her before. I might keep listening to this podcast sway of hers. It's it's cool. Uh, she also has four kids, so I'm I feel like we're kindred spirits. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, um, excellent. All right, that's gonna be it for this week. I'm not gonna do too much of this. I'll figure out something to name this some other time. I don't know. It's not big on my list. So that's a little bonus episode for you. Take care of yourself. Uh, if you're in most parts of the country right now, try to stay warm because my God, it's, it gets cold sometimes in January and, uh, yeah, it's nuts. All right. That's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm working on a few things, uh, for the podcast this year and you'll know about them when they 
blossom. Till then, take it easy. Take it easy.